created live on Fireside. All right, perfect. All right, so we are going to get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Human Challenge, where we explore all of the human challenges in today's world, the challenges of being human, and how we can challenge ourselves to be more human for the social good. I'm your host, Vanessa Ferlano, and we are today joined by two amazing people, and we're going to be talking about ad censorship uh, with our favorite social media companies, uh, and particularly related to sexual wellness for women. Um, very, very excited for this conversation. So important. Did not know it was a thing. Um, and, and to realize that this still happens, I mean, I just think it's really sad. So I'm super excited to be joined today by the CEO and founder of the Center for Intimacy Justice, Jackie Rotman, whose work has actually been cited by Congress. Super exciting. So that means we're making progress. <laughs> and we're also here joined by uh, Dr. Lindsay Harper, MD, CEO and founder of Rosie Wellness, uh, social media, not social media, sorry, sexual wellness platform uh, for women because we all deserve those types of solutions. So welcome both. Super happy to, be, to have you guys here. Thanks, Vanessa. Happy to be here. Thanks for having so, like I said, I did not know that this was such a big issue until I actually saw Dr. Harper, I saw your post on LinkedIn. And I remember you had talked about the struggle and you had also had, it was the graphics, I think that really got me yeah. showing the ads that were approved versus the ads that were not approved um, or approved by uh, your competitors in the mail space. And oh my gosh, I cannot believe uh, some of those were just uh, horrible, honestly horrible and sad. And I can't believe that some of them could even be approved at all um, because they were just terrible. So um, I wanted to start with you and I hope you could tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, I know you've been, I forget how long you've been running Rosie Wellness for so far, but tell us a bit about that journey and then talk a bit about what it's been, that battle that you've had with some of these social media companies just to post educational <laughs> ads about yeah. sexual health. Totally. Yeah. So my background is that I'm an OBGYN and I started Rosie about four years ago. So in 2019, um, and at the time I am, well, let's just start by saying that the reason that I wanted to start Rosie is because I had received no training in women's sexual health, even as an OBGYN. I spent two weeks in an erectile dysfunction clinic at the VA as a medical student. So like this starts from, you know, from way back. This isn't just in the, in, on social media platforms and in advertising. This is the bias against sort of women's health, women's sexual health is, you know, we're knee deep in it. Um, and that was exemplified in my medical training as well. So anyway, fast forward, I get into private practice. I'm taking care of only women, obviously, as an OBGYN, and they're having lots of sexual health problems. And I had had, I don't know how to help them. I didn't know how, how to help them with low desire, with arousal problems, with orgasm problems, with, yeah, I had some training in sexual pain, but certainly not enough. Um, and so um, I, I went off the deep end as, as a founder does in the field and I became obsessed and got a bunch more training and became a fellow of a sexual medicine organization. And now that's really all I do. And so at that point, when I started Rosie, I, I heard about this sort of in women's health, you know, this was a while ago, but I had heard about censorship in women's health, particularly in sexual health. And I was like, oh, I'm a doctor. Like I was like, <laughs> I have nothing to worry about. These are legitimate medical conditions. Like surely not. That won't happen to us. And literally the day we launched, we had a press release and the company through which we, you know, released the press release said, no, this is a no-go. And I like from the tips of my toes to the top of my head was so 
angry and mad. I just couldn't believe it. And so I was like, and I also think I can, you know, I have more power than I actually do. So I'm like, let me get them on the phone. I'm like, I'm a doctor and these are legitimate medical conditions with diagnoses that we can find like in the medical literature. There are pharma, you know, that are made for these things and we need interventions and people need to know about this stuff. And they're like, sorry, not happening. And so we had to go back and sort of like, you know, totally redo and water down. And that's like, I think a theme to this water down the messaging that was in the press release about what we were trying to do, what the actual problems that are existing. And that was really the start of this journey. And so, you know, since then, and we can go into the details of this, but we've been, you know, faced this issue with Apple, with Meta, with Pinterest. I mean, like the whole, the whole shebang everywhere we try and it's, it's insidious and it, it um, unfortunately presents many challenges for, for companies in our space and in women's health more broadly. That's something I definitely want to mention is that my company, Rosie, we do focus on women's sexual health, but this is across conditions that should like that don't have as much stigma as women's sexual health, right? About incontinence, about period brands, about um, you know, endometriosis. It's right. like, wait, what? Like those to me are even more like unbelievable that they're ha- that they're facing censorship issues as well. So it's not just sexual health. We are a c- very clear example of it, but it's across women's health, um, and it's really unbelievable, and you know, shouldn't be tolerated. So I'm so thankful for Jackie and the work that y'all are doing to help change that. Thankful for you too. And so now, so Dr. Harper, you mentioned, um, you mentioned a bit about having to kind of water down and having to like re-strategize your entire, I mean, your your whole PR launch. Uh, How else has this impacted, I guess, the growth of your business? Um, You know, because that's sort of part of that strategy, right, is the communication side. But I mean, were there other things that were impacted in terms of you trying to grow your business, even maybe raising capital? Um, Were there other aspects of your business? Totally. Yeah. I mean, until maybe the last eight months, raising capital is all about growth, right? All about like, how quickly can you grow month over month? Like show us your new, you know, customers and how does that equate to revenue? All of these things. And so as a business, we've always had growth on our mind and that's, that's the case for any startup. And you can see that in women's health valuations. There's so much to unpack here in terms of being a startup in women's health. But across the board, we have lower valuations. We have lower check size. We have fewer investors because we're considered a, a, a niche. And it's like, oh, my mind is just blown by all of these concepts. But um, I would say, you know, whenever you're faced with, and there's lots of ways. And, and one cool thing that we've done, and I think that's been a huge asset to the company, is not only have we grown through direct-to-consumer channels, but we've also grown through provider channels, physicians, therapists, pelvic floor PTs, through their recommendations. Had we, If we didn't have that channel, we would not be in existence. Like That channel is so important for us because of the issues that we face on the quote unquote D to C side through these, you know, through advertising on social media platforms and Google and things like that. Um, and so what, what I think people don't understand is that if, if we're a startup, a, a young company with a very, you know, specific budget and we have, um, you know, metrics that we know that if we can get in front of a user, we can, you know, spend this much money and get that person to install at least the platform that makes sense at scale. But once you start you know, every day beating down, it's like whack-a-mole, these, um, you know, denials, or at one point, our whole ads account was completely shut down on Meta. And so we couldn't advertise at all. And so we have these growth, 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 and then tank, right? Because it's like, uh, 
we got blocked and there's literally nothing you can do about it, especially when our account got disabled. This was last summer. And actually it was during when the rules got changed. And, but we were, and, but we had like violated the rules. And by the way, we don't literally do anything that I think anyone would consider violating the rules, right? It's just a very, and that's, what's really hard too, is because it's like the rules say one thing and then the behavior is completely different. And that's so frustrating because you're operating from a certain set of circumstances. And I think that's clearer now than it used to be, right? Before last summer, things were just very ambiguous. Now, at least we they say, you can say this, but you can't say this. But the rules and the actions don't match. And so what you're doing, instead of being like, oh, new ad, watch it go, new ad, watch it go, new ad, watch it go. They're saying like denied. And you're like, well, what's denied about this? We followed the rules. And so then you're like offering new creative, which takes time and money. You're offering new Mm -hmm. messaging, which takes time and money. Not only that, but then the person who's receiving it, it's, it's not the intended message that you wanted to hit home. It's something else. And then they're left to get, what is Rosie? You know, like, are they, it's just, it's not, it's not good marketing practices. Um, the things that we're forced to do to try to get around these issues. And so once again, it's either an innuendo, which, you know, I think is a problem sort of across the board for women's health, um, or, you know, we have to market something that they're not mad at us about marketing, which isn't exactly the point. So yeah, I would say it's affected us in lots of ways. The most, the most prominent way is just the inefficiency of the ability to sort of grow through these channels that other, other companies and other sectors enjoy. Right. And especially uh, like competitors in the men's health space who have access to their entire market very easily. And then you guys do not. Right. Like as, as a women's health company and, and which is kind of ridiculous, because I think if you look at like the market, the users of like social media, like, you know what I mean? Like like women are actually a very huge part of that market. They're the largest consumer category as well. So totally. it's like, really unfortunate that like social media that you can't access that market properly, um, which is like I just think it's it's terrible. And I think it goes towards I mean, to me, what this whole issue is really about is just the prioritization of one part of the economy, right? Or one social class or one social group over another. And I think, uh, Jackie, I remember watching your talk that you did. I think it was at uh, Stanford. And I believe you mentioned something like that, that this is really about like uh, the prioritization of pleasure of one group over another. And I remember that sentence really like kind of grabbed me and I was like, yeah. Because it hurts. Like, I think it hurts as as a woman to know that, like, basically, I'm almost being denied a right to understand my own, like, wellness and health. Right? Like, that's what I took when I saw some of these ads and, and a lot of your posts. I was like, wait, so as a consumer, I'm not entitled to know about endometriosis and things that impact my health. Like, it's it's very upsetting and very sad. So, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to turn this to Jackie a little bit. Can you tell us some, because you've been researching this, so can you tell us a bit about some of the trends, some of the findings, um, you know, what uh, what we just heard from Dr. Harper? Like, is that very common that you've seen in a lot of the other founders and um, individuals that you've spoken to that have also faced this issue? Definitely. And thanks again for organizing this conversation. Yeah. So starting in 2018, that's the year that I started talking to entrepreneurs and sexual wellness and sexual health. And um, 
every one of them said at the time that they were being censored by Facebook and Instagram. And most of them said that this was one of the biggest hindrances to them being able to help other women and other people who are suffering from the issues that they're facing. We released an investigation by the Center for Intimacy Justice in January of 2022 about Meta. We found that of 60 companies, um, and nonprofits as well that were serving sexual and reproductive health of women and people of diverse genders, 100% of them have their Facebook or Instagram ads rejected. So every single one of the 60 that we interviewed or surveyed said that this was a problem. Many of us in the women's health space knew that this was an issue, but I think that was the first time that we had that level of data to give to policymakers and to um, wider audiences. And that was specifically about advertising on meta platforms. But since then, we've had an increase in usage at TikTok, and we're um, constantly receiving information about how TikTok is taking down content about menstrual health, pelvic pain, menopause, variety of topics. With TikTok, it's more common that organic posts are also taken down. It's not just advertising that's an issue. Whereas on, yeah, on meta platforms, when it comes to organic posts, shadow banning is a bigger issue. So the platforms will not show certain content to non-followers or not um, allow as much information to be seen in the algorithms. But with TikTok, you can have a video about periods that's just taken down. With all of these ads that we're talking about, and Dr. Harper touched on this, but um, the kinds of health categories that are censored, and it really has, we found that like anything that has to do with vaginal health or often breast health, um, whether it's menopause, pelvic pain, endometriosis, um, of course, sexual wellness is very censored, but also, uh, a, you know, fertility, contraception, a wide number of categories. These are all blocked. And so um, we have seen Meta make some additions to their written policies, but for the large part, there hasn't been any change to the technologies, um, despite hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, impacted groups speaking out about it, both privately and publicly. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because I even thought to myself as I was like promoting for this episode, I actually found myself pausing going, can I use the word like sexual wellness? Like, you know, and it kind of, and like just having that level of awareness and going, wow, like I'm just trying to make an episode like, like, like people who are trying to like grow their business. I mean, having to have that, that in the back of your mind all the time. And especially I think when it's things that are health related, because there are just terms that are just terms, right? It's like, this is what it is. This is what it's called. Why can I not use this term? Like, it's just, I mean, I just think it's just insane to me. And so you've been, I think your research has been supported by Congress. Uh, you did mention that some of the regulations changed. Um, I mean, what, what, maybe what's changing or what are you really pushing for change, right? Because I know even in posting the ads, like, when you're targeting your audiences, for example, right, you can choose, oh, people who like this page, this page, but there's really nothing targeted towards like wellness, right? Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's nothing that really even, you can't even really target your audience that way. So I'm curious, like, are, how are you, you know, challenging social media companies to be a little bit more receptive to open up their vocabularies and allow these organizations to, to, you know, reach these target markets and talk about these, these educational things? Yeah. So 
We've seen a lot of exciting momentum. Last January 2022 is when we published an investigation um, on this data about Meta that I shared. It was published in the New York Times first and um, quickly a number of media outlets covered it. So the issue just in 2022 alone of Meta's censorship of these sexual health ads was in more than 80 media out, uh, 80 media outlets. And then about two weeks after the report was published in the New York Times, uh, the chair at the time of the U.S. Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee wrote a public letter to Mark Zuckerberg um, from a congressional committee, uh, Senator Patty Murray, asking Mark Zuckerberg what face what Meadows response would be. Um, and they they opened a line of questioning at Meta about what they were doing in light of these findings. Um, about two weeks or a week or so after that, Hillary Clinton um, organically tweeted at Senator Murray asking if she had heard back from Mark Zuckerberg, which was so, I mean, regardless of people's sides of the political aisle, I think seeing someone who's run for president at the highest levels of US policymaking tweet about an issue that is so important in um, sexual and reproductive health and had not been seen in that light before was really beautiful and meaningful. And then there've been a number of actions since then. Most recently, um, Center for Intimacy Justice filed a Federal Trade Commission complaint because a long time after filing that report, we still hadn't seen Meta make fixes to the technology despite updating its written policies in certain ways. And so we filed a legal complaint with our partners at Harvard Cyber Law Clinic asking the U.S. Federal Trade Commission to take action. And we had senators like Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Maisie Hirono, Representative Adam Schiff, and another senator, Peter Welch, Wrote, they wrote a public letter to the FTC that asked the FTC to take this seriously and talked about the research about why this is important. And so we've had this um, amplification or escalation by um, policy leaders, by media outlets, and now we've had thousands of men, women, people of diverse genders speaking out and adding their voice to a petition that was launched in July of 2023 recently. So we've We've been making our voices heard. We'll continue to do that. We're continuing to do film, activism, storytelling, and other types of media. Um, and I think we're moving a lot of the work to be about, this is an issue about seeking platforms to change so that there can be critical economic, technological, and health changes. But also, as you can see from what Dr. Harper has shared, there is a suppression of women's sexuality and sexual expression, well-being, health, agency that is so so greatly suppressed in other aspects of our society. So the platform censorship, which is completely wrong, is representative of broader societal issues around women's sexuality. And so we're continuing to raise and elevate conversations about um, the importance of validating women's sexual health, agency, well-being as equally important to that of anyone else on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is something that benefits everybody, right? Like it isn't, it really is about equality. You know, I think in any sort of partnership, right? I mean, you have to validate that for each other, you for yourself and for each other, right? And it really is part of just being in a healthy relationship or, or anything like that. Um, 
Now, before I jump on, I want to just highlight, because you talked about the petition, there is a link here in our little fortune cookie ticker. Sign the petition. I've signed it. I've shared it. Um, I think you're close to reaching your goal. Um, I was looking at it, and I'm pretty sure you're very, very close. So that's super exciting. But please, everybody sign it. Um, every time I share or post, I, I'm always like, here's the link. Sign it. <laughs> Maybe I'll go make another email account. <laughs> just sign it again. <laughs> um, but no, I am promoting it. So everyone, please make sure you sign the petition. This is, at the end of the day, really about... Um, uh, really about equality. Um, Dr. Harp, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to what Jackie was saying. So it much. Like- <laughs> yes, I'm like sitting on my hands. Okay, so I wanted to highlight a couple of things. The first is that when we as women or as people are not even exposed to these ideas, for example, women's sexuality, but we could just talk about women's health more broadly as well, then we don't even know that we should be asking the questions or we should be demanding the answers, right? So when our physicians aren't bringing it up to us because they haven't been trained, when we're not seeing it on social media because it's being censored, when we're not watching the Super Bowl and seeing the same ads for women as we are for men, we don't, women, I'll just use the word women, don't even realize that 43% of women have a sexual health problem and that it's not just them. They don't need to be ashamed. They don't need to be embarrassed. But this is a huge issue that deserves the light of day. And so not only do we have these really, you know, um, deep and insidious sort of uh, sexual health suppression problems in medicine and in society and in culture and religion, but the fact that it's also missing from our everyday, you know, input mm-hmm. compounds that. And it, it sends us the message that, no, this isn't that important. It's not that common. And, you know, really, there's not even if even if it is something wrong with you, there's really not anything to do about it anyway. You know, and so I think that you can't really fix one without fixing the other. And so I really am just uh, such, you know, so excited about this work. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was that, you know, I haven't talked a lot about TikTok and that's because we can't even get an ads account approved on TikTok. Like it's not, it's a no-go. Like I'm not even... I don't get as riled up about TikTok because it's never even like left the gate. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's it's absolutely crazy that that's the case. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had any back and forth with them or ads being banned or account being shut down because I don't have an ads account. And that's just that. And they don't care. And there's not like anything you can do about it. And that's one thing that like is so mind blowing about these companies is that you are yelling in like a total like dark silo room. You know, no one cares unless you're spending, I don't know how much you have to be spending to get an ads account like representative that has any sway, but we aren't spending that much. And so like, and that's why I have to take to LinkedIn. Like every time something like this happens, I'm like, could we, our ads account, or we cannot right now advertise on Apple in the app store. And it's been that way since last October. And I mean, I tried to escalate it. Y'all would not believe the support we got on LinkedIn and like still nothing. And uh, anyway, so it's, it's, it's across the board and I don't get as riled up about TikTok, but I should, because we have not even had any ads interaction Mm -hmm. with them because it can't even get approved. So it's, you know, one thing after the other. Wow. And, and I mean, you've been in business for four years, you said, right. And like, I mean, in four years, yeah, that's just, it's, it's just sad. Like, it's honestly sad. And, and I think, I think too, you know, you both kind of talked about the whole idea of it's depression, right? And then I think it just, it's a whole societal dynamic of that, you know, when you think of, I think intergenerationally, um, 
the, the you know the trauma that that women we you know we have to fight for rights to vote right for this oh that's trauma right and now it's like well now I can't even I don't have the right to like understand my body I don't have the right to understand my health um, and then I think you mentioned you said something that kind of hit me and you were talking about how um, um, oh no I lost it it'll come back to me but I mean but it is at the end of the day like to me it's all about it, it's just like that that trauma and that idea that like women you're not really like you're not prioritized like you're not worth it like and, that's, and then we keep shoving that in 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 our faces right that 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 message it's like yeah like you know you have to the ads that you see on Super Bowl for example you have to look like this you have to be like this it's not actually real compared to I think what uh like what we would see for our counterparts um and so I think from there I wanted to ask you um you know how does this type of censorship and maybe you already answered this but like how does this you know impact sexual health and sexual health education in general and then some of the dynamics i mean if we can't have these types of conversations you know openly i mean how is this impacting all of those those forces yeah i think you know it's really a sad state of affairs when we're not educating we're not you know offering sex and sexual health education to kids and even as adults we're not allowed to access it or know about it, right? It's just a constant sort of issue throughout life. And I think that something, an idea that I really am drawn to is that sexual health is never over. It's never like a box to be checked and then you're done. It's a journey throughout your entire life from the time that you're little and you're learning the names of your body parts until the day that you die, right? There is a sexual health journey and we're constantly learning. And so without the, that idea in our minds and without the access to those sort of um, skills and you know, options for navigation of those issues, then all that happens is not only do we as women suffer with, you know, this, these ideas that we're the only ones with these problems for, and for some reason we should experience the shame and, you know, embarrassment alone, but that has outward effects, right? Into all aspects of our, of our other health, of our relationships, of the way that we show up, you know, in the world at work and, and with our friends. And so I think it's just, it's such a tragedy that we have to bring forth with us this shameful idea of sex when it's literally just a part of life and a part of health. And I don't, I cannot understand why today, you know, it's, it's not seen as such. I think we have to, at some point, I've been trying to, in the medical community at least, and that's where we've made a bit more progress, I would say, in the medical community, because I can come at it with data and people respond, you know? Um, and so I think when we try to, when I try to bring up conversations about sexual health, as much as I can produce the evidence of its tangential relationships to mental health, to other aspects of physical health that we already recognize and appreciate and have insurance reimbursement for and, you know, are able to talk about in on larger stages, then that helps to connect the dots for people that this isn't some sort of weird in the closet, like, you know, seedy side of the internet business. This is a healthcare business and, you know, deserves recognition and, you know, the ability to advertise as such. Right, right. And Jackie, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, the, we see the issue having there's four buckets that we usually use health access being one of them when we talk about the impact of the censorship and of course there's many more than four ways that this impacts people but i think for people that are where you have to, for people that are wondering why is advertising of women's health 
access important? What are the impacts? What we see in terms of the societal impacts are first what we've been talking about, which is access to sexual health information. So one example is it takes three and a half years to sail around the world, but seven to 10 years to get an endometriosis diagnosis. And there was an advertisement stating that exact fact by a company called Ona that was started by a woman, Emily Sauer, who wanted to prevent painful sex. She herself was facing painful sex and she invented a technology to help, um, help people to make sex not painful um, for those with endometriosis or dealing with cancer healing. And that kind of information is being censored. You also can't say the word vaginal dryness um, on Facebook right now in an advertisement. So people are having to use euphemisms with which both creates greater shame about our bodies and greater stigma about things like menstrual health as well as menopause. So there's a stenting of health information access. And we're also seeing that with reproductive health increasingly. Um, and that's just, you know, people not getting information that they could be if this was allowed and even getting information that's shaming them when they do have these euphemistic um, ads. And then another one is that um, we believe that there's a lot less tech, there's less technology being created and there's less investment going into women's health. Somebody might raise a seed round, but then you're in a game where you are having to reach certain growth curves to raise your next stages. And it's really challenging for women's health businesses to get to series B, C, and D because the advertising barriers and censorship stunt the type of hockey stick growth that's so needed in um, a startup ecosystem that is requiring um, venture capital. And so there are companies in the men's health space that have raised serious Ds and larger that are literally acquiring the, acquiring the women's health companies. And some have tried to create women's health brands, but had to eliminate their women's sexual health products, even though they're selling erectile dysfunction because their women's health products couldn't sell since they couldn't actually talk about the symptoms in their ads. So even like well-funded companies that want to help women's health and have the resources just are leaving the space because of these barriers, um, which matters. Um, and those, and the other ones are about economic access in terms of the economic resources that are being stunted for women entrepreneurs and their teams, as well as non-binary entrepreneurs. Um, and then the last one is just this culture around whose sexual health and whose sexual well-being is considered valid when we're being inundated with ads about erectile dysfunction and ads that literally say, get hard or get your money back. We're taught and people are taught since a young age to realize, okay, men's sexual pleasure is normal. And, um, you know, these things are valid and yet we can't even say vaginal dryness um, and these other things. And so it creates this inequity around whose experiences are considered important and valid and healthy. Yeah. And I think to Jackie's point, the, like the sort of um, shedding of women's health brands and the lack of the ability to grow and be funded past a certain point, what does that mean for right now? But what does that mean for 10 years from now when, you know, men's health and sort of other aspects of health have been really allowed to mature in terms of innovation and support and women's health is literally left to languish. It's, it's a, it's a clear repeat of history that I, you know, upon reflection in women's health and sort of how did we get here as a, as women's health, it's history is repeating itself again. And the first time I think it happened because, you know, white men sort of made medicine, which is what it is, but that now it's happening because white men made tech. 
And it's like, I, it's just mind blowing that it's happening all over again. And we're, and we can't get it right because we're just going to experience the same sort of exponential Delta between women's health and the rest of health, unless we can get it fixed. Right. Right. And I, I do appreciate that, that perspective and that mention of tech in general, um, because yeah, absolutely. Um, I spent 10 years in tech. I've been a founder and executive. I've been an angel investor. Um, I've been an award-winning corporate innovator and that's exactly it. That it's, it is just, it's more, uh, more white men in power in the space that again, are just kind of really creating that ceiling, um, and making it very challenging for women's women in general, like women, women leaders, uh, women in tech, women's health. Like we're talking about, you know, these technological innovations, um, yeah, it is definitely a challenge. So I do appreciate that perspective. My last question for you both is, you know, obviously we're increasing this awareness of some of this bias that exists. Um, how do you guys, how can we be a little bit more mindful now as we sort of navigate, um, you know, social media, navigate our ads? I remember Jackie, or sorry, no, Jackie, this is uh, Dr. Harper. I remember when I read your post, I remember scrolling through some of the comments and I remember one woman commenting, I hope these ads are very targeted because I would never want my young boys to see some of these ads that are being promoted for like men's health because some of them really are disgusting and demeaning. And so that's why, so, you know, how can we, how can we be a little bit more mindful as we navigate social media and then even navigating, like I said, like we all do turn to the internet for questions like this. So how do we be mindful as we read some of these articles and these blogs and social media? How can we be a little bit more mindful of that as we kind of navigate this? Yeah, I can start for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, conversations like this are so important to the support of comfort or of nonprofits like Centers for Intimacy Justice are really critical for the future and how this gets changed. Um, I would say in terms of ad mindfulness, I mean, that's such a huge conversation that there's there's a uh, company perspective, there's an individual perspective. Um, and I think that it is really all about seeking out brands like, you know, who, maybe who are the female founded women's health brands that, um, that you might access or that you and then and then how can you actively support them, whether it's engaging with posts, whether it's making a positive comment on an ad if you do get happened if you do happen to see one um and and really trying to amplify that message and that's i feel so you know grateful to all the support that we get um you know from from opportunities like this and elsewhere because i think it really opens people's eyes to what is actually going on and i think unless you're engaged in that conversation you're you're going to be none the wiser and so i think the more we can amplify that message the better um and then in terms of you know i've been thinking a lot lately about finding accessing medical information on the internet and how can people be or, or on social media and how can um, people be you know more informed because there's so much happening right now in D2C health and you can't how do you vet people when you're a lay person like it's just very um, it's very confusing so I think there's opportunities to do that but the onus is kind of on the person at this point right to say who is the source of this information are they trying to sell me something um, you know and credit and try to untangle some of those webs. But that's a, it's a big challenge that I think we face medical misinformation, disinformation, um, and, and sort of the divide that's growing because of the sort of lack of progress within medicine and the real need of consumers and, and what's the work to be done to repair that relationship and really move forward together. That's a lot of what I'm thinking about these days. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing. And Jackie, anything to add? One thing that jumps to mind when you're sharing about those comments is how much 
the way that um, destigmatization works is the more we do see information about breastfeeding, lactation, menopause, menstrual health, the more we see those things as normal and the more openly they're discussed. And also shame around sexual health is not serving anyone. Like shame, there's a lot of research about shame around our sexuality, increasing sexual assault and sex societies that have greater shame, having both less reporting of sexual assault and also just, um, greater examples of sexual aggression. Whereas when we normalize um, communication, conversation about sexual health, sexual well-being, we actually see healthier societies. And so there might be something that someone is considering surprising to see, but if you were seeing information about menstrual health and healthy, normal lactation, then we would become more used to that as a society and we would realize that that's valid. And so part of what's perpetuating the shame, the shame is it not being common. I remember 10 years ago, I never knew that erectile dysfunction impacts men in their thirties or didn't know that much about it. You just see Viagra and think that it's just for older men. And actually a lot of young men do face heart conditions and other medical conditions where they're grappling with erectile dysfunction. Um, and I think now that you have these startups like Roe that's started by young men who are facing health challenges that wanted to help people, um, you know, they're raising money, they're getting their technologies out there. And like, as a woman, I know a lot more about erectile dysfunction than I did 10 years ago. And I don't, um, there's just more information and less shame and it's understood by more people that that is a legitimate medical condition for some people. Um, and it's not seen as like lewd to get treated for that. And yet many partners of women who are 30 don't know that um, as much about the health kinds of complications that would cause sexual function challenges for their partners um, or for their friends or allies or others in their lives. So um when it comes to ad mindfulness, one thing I'm thinking about is just if people are having reactions that they're surprised by um, an advertisement that would actually become probably easier if we were seeing more of that information. And of course, there's information that, you know, these platforms do want to keep out that it's not that we're advocating for every single thing to be on the platform, but we think that the, there's a lot of um, things that should definitely be allowed um, that aren't. Right. No, and I, and I hear that completely. And I appreciate everything you're saying about, um, you know, the societal dynamics, um, you know, abuse and, and all of that, because I know for myself, um, I was actually assaulted when I was 23. And I can tell you, you know, I was five years ago, if I had seen those ads that, you know, you guys were showing that men's health companies promote, those would have triggered me as someone who had experienced sexual abuse, because it is like, it's horrible to see those things, because in situations of sexual assault, you know, your, your power is being taken from you, you're being disempowered. And, you know, sex is a very healthy thing for everybody. But when it's like taken from you without choice, right, it's giving you that message that again, like, who's being prioritized. And that is what would come up for me had I five years ago seen ads like that. Um, and I, it's horrible. I mean, five years later, I can tolerate it. And, and I'm like, I don't like it, you know, but I don't, I'm not triggered by it. But that's, you know, there are these larger things that do come from this these larger waves, because you're not just it's not just about it's like prioritization of health. But how are the how is this messaging impacting other people and what's going on in their lives and that whole idea of ad mindfulness. So I think it's really important. 
Um, and again, I think it's also a big thing here is the messaging of sex, right? What is the messaging of sex now in our ads? Sell. It's about selling sex, right? We don't educate about health. We are only here to sell sex, uh, which I think is a, something that I think also has to change. Um, but I think that we are going to leave it there with that message. Thank you both for coming on the show. I am super excited to have you both here. Love all the work you're doing. Again, everyone, please sign the petition, sign the link. Um, and please be sure to support both organizations because um, there's a lot of great to be done. And please take these tips to heart about how you can mindfully navigate your own sexual health and some of these things that you see on these platforms as well. So thank you so much, everybody. Created live on Fireside.